Well, hello, and welcome to The Insecurity Project. I'm your host, Jamin Fraser, and I am on a mission to end the unnecessary suffering caused by the fear of not being good enough. We've all got it. We've all got to work through it. But thankfully, there is a clear, intelligent, and complete solution to the insecurity problem, and that is what this project is all about. Hope you enjoyed today's program. Okay, Jason, thanks so much for being willing to record the coaching session on the podcast today. Um, as we were just talking about before we press record, it's always an amazing gift to do that. And um, people can't help but find themselves in the stories of others. So for you to be willing to share what's going on for you, I'm sure people will be, uh, they'll benefit from that. So thanks very much. Yeah, no worries, mate. That's a privilege to be a part of it. And if my um, challenges and struggles that are, you know, relevant to my world and what I'm going through today um, is helpful for somebody else, then I think that's, that's the power of being transparent and vulnerable and just sharing the real struggles of life and, and trying to get better and grow in those areas. So thanks for the opportunity to be a part of it. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, so as with all coaching sessions, um, it's essential to set up the space so it's clean and, and crisp. And I think, uh, I, I can't state enough um, the, the importance of a, a judgment-free conversation. So just to remind you that the, this conversation is not being held in the frame of being friends or, or um, you know, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a counsellor, I'm not here to give you advice. Uh, my value is to get you more of what you want um, without being vested in that. So positioning you as the expert, positioning you as the hero, um, and I'm the skillful guide to go, yeah, let me let me help you get more of what you want by taking you outside of your own perspective and your own experience of that so that you can see a bigger view and get connected to patterns and processes that give you more awareness and choice. Um, but in doing so, yeah, there's no, I have no vested interest. So I don't, there's no right or wrong. There's no good or bad. You don't, I don't need anything from you. So that, I think that just creates this safety to have a very honest conversation. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, for sure. Cool. And it's, and it's entirely outcomes focused. That's the other thing just to make sure, you know, it's easier to focus on what we don't want or what's not going well. Um, but the, the orientation of coaching is always toward, okay. And what would you like to have happen? I think that yeah. creates, that creates, um, both responsibility and, and action. So yeah, with, with that in mind, what's going on for you that would be useful to process? Yeah. So I, um, Jamin, one of the things that I've, um, I would say, struggled with in my line of work um, and my line of work is a what I would determine is um, fairly public as far as um, you know lots of people are aware of kind of my my work and also my life and my family's life kind of our world is a little bit of a like living in a fishbowl um, mm. and and so because of that I always want to be the healthiest leader I possibly can be which means I want to constantly be getting feedback and evaluating how can I improve and how can I get better. But at the same time, there are, there are times when there are just people that I feel like are not necessarily critiquing for the sake of helping someone to get better like myself, but they can actually be critical. So they move from critiquing to being more critical and criticizing of, you know, a number of different things. So how do you balance, I guess I'm wondering, how do I get healthy in receiving that feedback for constant improvement, yeah. but not 
taking just criticism for criticism's sake yeah. and, um, and becoming unhealthy and negative even in my thinking because of the negative criticisms that I, that I get in a public role. Yeah, yeah, sure. That's a really interesting, interesting issue they're facing. Um, so how's it playing out at the moment? So, you know, your current way of thinking this through, how is it creating a problem for you? Yeah, I think what it does for me anyway, I struggle to move on from critical comments or right. critical conversations as yeah. quickly as I would like to. So I'll, I'll replay them in my mind. I'll, and what I call it, Jamin, is I, I know intuitively that it's sideways energy. It's not getting to where we're going as an organization with our mission and our goal and our vision. But I'm allowing some of that criticism to create sideways energy that I don't want to, but yet how do I get that out of my thinking patterns and keep rethinking them, those conversations over again? Mm. Yeah, sure. And so tell me a bit about what happens when you replay those, um, those criticisms, what, what happens internally for you? Um, what, you know, what gets inside you as a result of those criticisms? Yeah, I'll, um, I typically will think negatively about myself like, Oh mm. yeah, maybe I should be doing that better. Or I'll think negatively about those people and kind of write them off as like, well, they don't get it. They don't understand. They don't know what we're on about. They're just yeah. being critical. But then I'll do that again this afternoon about the same criticism. I'm like, mm. why am I replaying that conversation over again? Mm. Mm, yeah, cool. Um, so it doesn't become healthy for you in your relationship with yourself or your relationship with them. No, exactly. Yeah. Yet interestingly, um, you, you go back and have that same experience again the next week. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yeah. 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 And, and sometimes it's because of a follow-up conversation again, or sometimes it's just because it comes to my mind or something will trigger, um, that, criticism and i'm like oh yeah so i replay that again in my mind and and i know intuitively i know that that's not helpful like you've already said and it certainly is not it, it's it's wasted time in a sense it's it's sideways energy for me mm. so so what do you think uh you know a, a clever intelligent passionate person like yourself why why do you think you haven't solved this problem already I don't know that I've necessarily uh, taken the time to really articulate it mm. um, possibly as well as I could, could have. Um, I certainly haven't done enough uh, study or research about it to go, okay, this is not unique to me. Mm, There's yeah. got to be other people in the world that, have similar challenges yeah. and what have they learned from it that you could maybe apply mm, from sure. their experience? Mm. Uh, absolutely. Well then let's start with some, some quality questions just to do that a bit of gentle analysis and exploration around this to help you see this more clearly. Cause you, you're right. You can't change it if you can't see it. So, yeah. Um, so I'm not sure if you've heard me use the, the coaching questions that are particularly a favorite of mine at the moment question one being so what what problem are you actually looking to solve so to be as specific as you can around defining the problem where where is the problem here yeah so i think the the problem i'm trying to solve is how to navigate because criticism is a natural part of 
my role? Yeah. How do I navigate my response to that criticism in a healthy way so that it doesn't become a vicious cycle? Mm. Yeah, cool. So that's, yeah, that's definitely getting close. Let's be more specific and, and actually name the problem there. So that's stated in, in, um, you know, a question that's a little abstract and it's the intention yes. of what you'd, what you'd kind of like to resolve, but specifically uh, in, in that. So what's the problem? I don't handle criticism well. Mm, okay. Now, are you sure that's the problem? Hmm. Maybe the problem is that people can just be critical. Hmm, yeah, sure. It's an interesting question, isn't it? Kind of this, hmm. are you sure? Are you really sure? Because uh, obviously if you, if you get clarity or you think you've got clarity about a problem, then you're going to invest all your energy into solving it on that level. Yet if that's just yeah. symptomatic of something deeper, then all that energy and effort is, is sideways or wasted. Yeah. So, um, well, maybe the problem, uh, because I know, Jamin, that I tend to have people pleasing tendencies. Mm. Maybe that actually is the root of the problem is that I want people to like me. Mm. So yeah, I'm, sure. I'm finding, finding my identity in whether or not people are um, pleased with. Mm. my actions or mm. maybe I'm finding my identity in whether or not people are happy with how I do things. Mm. Um, and so it's more of a, it's not that I don't handle criticism. Well, it's that, um, that I just want people to like me. Like I want to be accepted. Mm. Yeah, that's really maybe that's the problem. Yeah. 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 Um, well, yeah, that's really, cause I think we, I think we all want to be accepted. Like we all mm. want to be known. We all want to be loved for who we are. And so when somebody doesn't do that, it's not meeting a deeper need mm. in the human, just in the human psyche, you of know, course. in how we're wired. Yeah, of course. So when you look at the people who, who don't seem to have this problem, so if you were just to kind of, think around the networks you travel in and the leaders that inspire you or the leaders that look healthy to you, the leaders yes. that seem, they're not arrogant, so they haven't positioned themselves as closed and sure, but they've, they also don't seem impacted by uh, or consumed by the opinions of others. What, what do you yes. imagine they've done differently to be in that position? Mm. I think they've, be, they've probably become completely sure of who they are probably mm. um so they're they're rock solid on that and so they don't have to have any uh, affirmation from others on those things possibly mm. do you think do you think that's realistic is that something that you've considered in your own life before yeah for sure yeah yeah so you think it's possible to to achieve that I think it is possible, yeah, to mm. know exactly who you are and so therefore um, the opinions or criticisms of others don't mm. don't sway you, yeah. Yeah, yeah, cool. I mean, I, I'm the same. Um, I agree. But how, how does anyone get there? 
That's, yeah, that's the work, yeah. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, how does somebody, um, yeah, how does somebody land that plane? That's a big one. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, well, I've, I mean, I do have a few thoughts about how that happens. That's, yeah. that's obviously something I spend a lot of time thinking about and talking about. So if it's useful to, to share some of the observations I've made about how that happens, would, would that be useful? Yeah, absolutely. No, I'd love to hear. Hmm. Um, yeah, well, I think that the, you know, as you mentioned, the, the deep need is, is very real. It is, it is a human need to feel significant and that we matter. Um, and to me, the key distinction around what, what you're experiencing, the problem here is just an evidence of um, operating the child strategy in an adult position. Okay. Um, so the child... Um, you know, beyond, beyond toddler years. So, you know, not to two, a child is actually very self-referenced and very sure of their own capacity and, well, not capacity, sorry, um, their own level of deserve and their own inherent worth. Um, yeah. It's evidenced by the fact the moment there's an issue in their world that's something, something slightly other than perfect, they demand it be resolved instantly. Um, so they're not worrying, oh, you know, should I, maybe I should hold back. Maybe is it appropriate to ask for this right now? It's like, hey, listen, I've got a problem. Mum, dad, come fix it. Um, yeah. then obviously, as they grow up, they are then, um, the, their adults in the world are less likely to meet them at that level. You know, they're a bit less yeah. cute. They've got another sibling to contend with. They've got to go expect them to do some stuff. And so all of a sudden, they're in a very unsettled space, but still have to solve this problem of am I worthwhile and valuable? And so... Um, so what do you think the child does then to meet that need? I think they learn to be more strategic in how they go about asking. Absolutely. Yes. They, and they learn some other strategic things too around uh, the rules of the game to how to get yeah. others to, to give them what they want because they yeah. want to feel valuable. They want to feel loved. They want to feel good, but now it's a bit harder, but there's still, it's still a way to get it. So Yes. For starters, they outsource it. They look at their world and go, adults, siblings, I need it from you, but how am I going to yes. get it from you? And so they observe how that happens. And so, you know, so people pleasing starts there, for instance. You know, it's like, right, if the people in my world are happy with me, they will love and accept me. If the people in my world are unhappy with me, they will be critical and unkind to me. So yes. okay, naturally, it would go well. I make them happy. Like, sorry? So naturally, I, I look to make them happy with me. Look, naturally, that's a smart decision for yes. a child to do. That's Because yes. if you make them unhappy, you're going you're gonna to go empty. And that's, you don't have any plan B. You're a child. So um, yeah. it makes total sense for a child to, to work out that and to be constantly analyzing what they've got to do to have the, the people in their world validate and accept them. Um, yeah. You know, the challenge is that that doesn't, even though that's the only the child's only option, really, it doesn't work particularly well, even for children, because yes. adults yes. often are busy or got their own stuff going on or say the wrong things or they're not there when the kid needs them. And so it creates this, this emptiness and this desire for more affirmation and love. Um, yes. But, you know, the, the, role of, the role of parents is actually to prepare their children for adulthood. So it's to help yes. them update the quality of all their strategies and move toward maturity. And so, um, you know, adults get that, parents get that in terms of physical and financial maturity a lot of the time. Like, you know, can my child wipe their bum? Can they dress themselves? Can they feed themselves? Can they, you know, can they 
look after themselves, you know, and then eventually can they leave home because they've got a job? Get a job. Their own bills? Yep. Yeah. All right, cool. They're an adult. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yet, yet the idea of, you know, so that self-sufficiency, you know, means now I'm an adult, but um, physical and financial sufficiency, but, but the idea of emotional, relational, intellectual self-sufficiency is often never addressed. Yes. So, so most people go into adult bodies with still child strategies for how to meet their relational, emotional needs, which is all yes. external. It's all yes. I need you to fill, to fill me. Whereas yep. the, the adult thing is I work at how to meet my own needs. I work at how to, how to be self-sufficient, how to be independent. That's the, that's the process yeah. of maturity. Yep. Um, I, yeah. I'm sure, I'm not sure, I won't assume. Um, have you come across seven habits of highly effective people? Yes, I actually referenced it yesterday in a talk that I gave and asked everyone to do the practice of writing their own eulogy uh, less great. than 24 hours ago. Yeah. yeah, excellent. Great exercise. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with, uh, you know, early on in the book, he talks about the journey to maturity. Yeah, yeah. Dependence, independence, interdependence. So yes, that, that is essential to work out how to do your own stuff, how to fill your own cup, how to meet your own needs. Yeah. That is the adult work. And it's difficult yes. work. Um, and often parents, uh, you know, miss a couple of parts in, in equipping us to do that. But nevertheless, it, it creates massive problems in adult life if we haven't worked out how to do the adult work. Yes. So um, does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. Yeah. Yep. Makes total sense. So is it possible that, um, that there is some adult work lacking in, in your ability to reference your own opinion, to trust your own judgment, to be able to self critique, um, not as someone who has closed off from the input of others, but to primarily work out how to decide if you are doing the right thing for the right reasons in the right way as the primary mode of assessing your success in any one moment. Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely, I think, um, I think doing the hard work of perhaps developing my dashboard of success apart from others' opinions mm. would allow you then to have a, uh, a filter by which you can determine are these criticisms helpful in, you know, evaluating how well I'm doing or are they just, you know, criticizing, but it has nothing to do with my dashboard yeah, that I've sure. developed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, the other thing too, is just updating the rules that you're operating out of and, yeah. um, updating the quality of those, of those rules. Cause there's often, there's often unconscious rules that have been written as a child that you've just seen someone do something and tell you kind of going, Oh, that's how that works. That's then therefore that's how I'll do it. Um, yes. moving forward. And so updating those rules where you decide how you'd like those rules to operate. So, um, yeah. I don't know whether you have a, a kind of bent towards were you a science and, and kind of maths student at school or were you more creative or were you more English or where, where was your particular? Yeah, I would say my strengths lie, lay more in hum, the humanities side of things. So the history, English, mm. uh, public speaking, mm, okay. uh, that, that side of things rather than, you know, pure maths and science and analytical okay. yeah, great. side of things. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, that's really useful because it makes sense to play to your strengths in thinking about how to fix this. So rather than okay. 
for some people it's about rewriting an algorithm. Okay. So, yep. it's, so it's, there's, there's an equation in your mind. So for instance, some of what I heard you say before was, um, you know, you want the outcome is you want to be a great leader. And so the algorithm for being a great leader is uh, open to critique um, willing to take on board everyone's praise and criticism. Yeah. Uh, and that in some way, those two other key components for then how you qualify to be a great leader. So, yes, but it also creates this massive pain for you because you constantly put yourself in this position where you are open to critique and criticism, but haven't developed the capacity to process that internally. And so yes. while it ticks the box of you being a good leader, so it helps you sleep at night, it makes yeah. you feel terrible and it yeah, yeah. violates other values. Yeah. So for some, it would be about rewriting the algorithm and changing the components and just crunching the numbers differently so they've got a different equation. Um, yeah, okay. But if, but if, if the humanities were more your strong suit, then it's, maybe it's changing the script, updating, updating the story. Um, uh, redefining the narrative yeah and just um I, i'm not sure if you've heard me talk much about the storytelling piece we have as, as human beings have you, have you thought much about how humans tell stories and the impact of those stories i have i have uh, thought quite a bit about it i'm a huge fan of um some guys like Donald Miller with story oh, yeah. brand and so yeah, on. Yeah. Um, and so very, yeah, familiar with those concepts and how we tell stories, how we, you know, speak stories over our lives, that kind mm. of thing as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, interesting when you really explore storytelling, you realize that all we have is story. So when we're, when we're growing up, we are experiencing the world as children and we tell stories about our experiences. That's how we yes. make sense. That's how we give meaning. You know, nothing has meaning except the meaning we give it. So we're constantly watching and observing, noticing the things we like and don't like and, and placing meaning on those experiences and writing narratives. And often, often those narratives go unaddressed yeah. and, and end up becoming the limiting factor. Um, you know, I, I talk all the time about reviewing the narrative that I'd, I'd inadvertently written for myself around money, you know, that, that it was... Um, the story was you can't be rich and godly because that's what okay. I observed from the modeling, from what, what my parents had modeled from, you know, the, growing up, there were no, we had no rich people who were good people in our world or the, or the good people were poor people and the bad people were rich people. And so okay. I'm making sense of what, what am I observing the analyzing the patterns and telling stories? Yes. So then I'm going to the adult world with that, with that narrative. You can't be rich and godly. And here I am trying to grow my own business yet unconsciously there's this story this 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 narrative that says well no that's not how it works jamie and if you get more yeah. money you'll end up being a bad person so yeah that that narrative becomes this limit limitation that i can't i cannot i cannot actually proceed beyond yes does that make sense yeah no, that that absolutely makes sense yeah you the story essentially is setting the ceiling and the limit well, to where yeah. you could go I, yeah. I love thinking about it, like the truman show uh, i'm not sure if you yeah you know so, yeah Jim, Jim Carrey or whoever his character is, or Truman, thinks he's living his best yes. life, um, but it's, it's in a dome. It's all a script. Everything's scripted. And, and the yes. moral of the story is he explores the limits of his world 
and discovers that it is a dome and finds his way beyond that dome into a bigger experience. And so it's yeah. kind of a great metaphor for this. So for me, it was yeah. to, to do the adult work around storytelling and go, if all I've got is story. And I was the one who wrote the first story. Um, you know, Stephen Covey says, everything is created twice. So because I created that experience back then, the second creation is what's just showing up now. So I've got to go back and do some first, first creation work and retell the story. So, yeah. So the way that I retold that story was, no, I, I think it's actually insecurity that corrupts. I think that's what, that's what weakens me, causes me to be needy and desperate and look for the wrong things in the wrong way and weakens my ability to, to show up responsibly. So if I'm dealing with insecurity, then money just, money just magnifies what's in my heart. So yes. My intention is good money will give me more ability to do good. So money's safe. Um, yes. I've rewritten that script and really done the work around that. Then it was all of a sudden safe for me to be rich and godly. And yes. quite quickly, I then had a very beautiful experience of having more money in my world. Yeah. So, so the storytelling piece around what makes a great leader, what does a leader have to do? What boxes does a leader have to tick? Um, what needs to happen in a leader's world before he gets to sleep well at night being, being able to tell himself he's a great leader. Um, combined with the storytelling around what does it mean to be a great human being and, and where yeah. those two worlds collide and, and can you write a story for yourself that enables you to be a fulfilled human being and a great leader at the same time in a way that doesn't clash and, and cause trouble with each other. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so really rewriting, I guess, the description for me of what is a great leader mm. will will be able to um, allow me to filter that criticism through whether or not those criticisms fit into that description. The description becomes the filter by which I uh, listen to those critiques and the things that are relevant to the description would then be things that you would work on, but the things that are not relevant don't get through the filter. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, well, well I'm saying the storytelling piece becomes the, the dome, first of all. So you can't actually have a, 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 an experience outside of the story you've created for yourself. So if yes, you create okay. a story that says good leaders must position themselves to take on all feedback at all times. Yes, then, then you're in trouble, right? Because part of you knows that's not going to work for you moving forward. And right. when you do the adult work in that dome, you're going to, going to go, well, yeah. hang on. No, no, I'm referencing my own opinion, but I've constantly got to put myself in a position where anyone can say anything to me at any time and a good leader would accept that and deal with that and um, would never shut himself off from that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Whereas so there's, probably, there's going to be a clash. Probably, yeah. Probably the better the great leader would only uh, listen to the criticism of those that are for them and for the vision that they're leading people towards. Maybe, maybe that's true. Um, yeah. And, and this is the cool thing, right? It's all story and all we have is story. So it's not like there's a true story or a right story. There's a story that works for you and a story that serves you. And then your ability to keep upgrading and growing that story moving forward. So, yeah. so to go try that story on and go, Hmm, how does that, does that story give me a bigger experience? Does that give me more space to actually do the adult work here of validating my own existence and referencing my own opinion? Um, yeah. 
um, growing up internally being the one that's able to fill my own cup and then showing up as a great leader as well. And if you're yeah. experiencing more life and more joy in that, and you go, well, this is, this is a wonderful story. Yeah, yeah. If you find yeah. some incongruence, you're like, hang on a minute, that's some part of it's not making sense because there's some people that don't actually agree with me and they just because they don't agree with me doesn't mean they don't have valid things to say. So, hmm, can great leaders listen to people who don't agree with them? Is that possible? Can great leaders yeah. learn stuff from people who don't agree with them? Is that possible? Yeah, well, I don't know. Can, can you find a story where, where you make sense of that? Could, that? could that get you an even bigger experience as well? Yeah. If you were to show up really secure and confident in who you are, uh, would you be secure enough then to, to hear and assess things more objectively rather than yeah. just being disarround yourself with people who agree with everything at all times? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, because I think the mark of a great leader is being able to learn from those that are not, hmm. that don't agree with you. I, I think, think. I think you're right. Hmm. Yeah. So, hmm, so yeah. So just to clarify again, to, to first address the dome, to, to, to broaden the space that you're playing in first, because if you don't yeah. broaden that first, um, you know, I, I love the, the new wine and new wineskins kind of analogy from Jesus. If you, if you put new wine in old wineskins, well, the old leather can't stretch and grow with the fermenting wine and it will tear and you will lose both the wine and the skin. So, Yes. If you want something new, you got to actually grow your capacity to handle something new. Otherwise, it's going to end in tears. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no, that's good. So, okay, cool. So to expand the dome first, yeah, right, a bigger story. So to, to consciously, um, as, as an adult, you know, using your strength in, in humanities and understanding history and leadership and how people have done this before, go and observe some better stories, go and, go and deconstruct some people you admire and observe the story they've constructed for themselves. Yeah. Um, then having created more space, then, then part two is to go, okay, so how do you keep, keep fully becoming an adult and not just being financially and physically self-sufficient, but relationally, emotionally, intellectually learn to be the one that validates your own existence and references your own, you know, your own decision-making process primarily. Yeah, no, that's good. Hmm. Um, does that sound like a believable plan to go road test and yeah, see what, what comes next? Absolutely, yeah, to, to do the, the adult work of, looking at those that you admire and deconstructing what have they done. Mm. Um, I think it's very doable. Yeah. Mm. And I'm not sure if you've ever been talking about the role of self permission, but it kind of is a big part of this piece as well. Um, because until you give yourself permission to have a bigger story, then again, that story, like stories serve a purpose, stories keep us safe, stories make sense of our world. So it does, it does take, it is a challenging thing to, deconstruct an old story and, and enlarge it. And, yeah. And so, you know, for me, it wasn't about going, oh, no, no, I just need to get over, like with the money thing, I just need to, that's silly. But, you know, of course I can have more money. Of course I could be a good person. It was to actually go back all the way to the beginning of that story and, and deal with it back there and go, am I willing to review the data of why I wrote this story in the first place and genuinely give myself permission to update it? 
Because if it's just, yeah. if I'm just fighting against the old story, which is, I watch people do that all the time. It's like they're just constantly trying to scribble out the old one and re put a new one on top all day. And the moment they get tired, the old story is still long and true and it's what they've practiced. So, yes, the, the need to go back and deconstruct the old story and to, um, just be objective about the fact that that it is a story, and you did tell it at a time when maybe you had limited resources, and uh, you know, so it was the best story you had at the time. But it, yeah. it's okay to update it. It's okay to to grow it. Um, that permission yeah. piece is a very important part of the allowing yourself to expand the borders of your tent, um, rather than just fighting against the old story. Does that can that that distinction make sense? Yeah, it does. And I'm, I'm trying to apply that to my current scenario with the, you know, the, um, the story of believing that if I'm a great leader, then everyone will be happy with me. Mm, yeah. Um, so where did that, where did that begin? Like mm. why, um, you know, why did I start believing that at some point, what, you know, mm. that a great leader, um, well, it's interesting, Jamin, cause I'm not sure that it, my story would, I, I recognize that by default, great leaders are not going to have everyone happy with them mm. by default. Cause you, that's, you can't, you actually, I don't think would be a great leader mm. if everyone was happy because you're probably not, you know, leading them anywhere because oftentimes leaders take people where they wouldn't go on their own. Mm. And so if that's the case, then there are going to be some in that group that are maybe not excited about being taken to that place Mm. that they wouldn't go on their own, although they maybe need to go there. Mm. So, so I'm trying to think through in a very practical way, where did the story perhaps begin for me? Mm. of thinking through this lens of um, great leaders getting feedback, yeah, taking it on board, um, yeah, yeah. evaluating a, it. Yeah. The cool thing is that behavior never lies. So the fact that against better judgment, like because it rationally it doesn't make sense to and when you think it through rationally, yeah, I mean, sure, leaders should be able to take criticism and not have everyone like them. But then your your lived experience every day is different from that. So yeah. that's a great indicator that you go, cool. So this this story operates at a subconscious level, and it's yes. kind of under, under the radar, and it, it's definitely there. So and, until you actually address it there and go back and explore it and turn all the lights on and have a look around, it still will be the prevailing narrative. To, to yeah. find your way out of the dome, you, you're going to have to go uh, explore the origins of that, and um, without without judging, like it's not that's not a bad story. It's a story that served you no. really well, and and yeah. written for a great intention at the time. It's just you've just outgrown it, and it's creating pain for you. So yeah, um, yeah. I think um, you know my background before I was in the role that I currently doing and have been doing for probably the last six years or so um i was involved in a lot of marketing and sales yeah and so success in that was very measurable based Mm. upon you know people was very transactional so i really like you i really like what you have to offer 
and therefore I'm, you know, I trust you and I like the thing that you're selling and so I'm going to purchase it from yeah, you. Sure. Um, and that, I think that um, maybe that created some of this narrative that, mm. hey, if, if people trust me and like me, then they'll, they'll purchase whatever it is that I'm offering. Mm. Um, and so therefore, if people don't, then maybe something's wrong with me yeah, sure. um, and they, yeah. won't, they won't purchase the thing I'm now offering. Mm. Um, so that narrative could have been developed possibly during that season of my life as well. Yeah, yeah, sure. Although the interesting patterning around narratives is that um, almost always they have origins uh, in our formative years. You know, okay. Um, you know, kind of even before we're seven, some interesting research yeah. around how much of our life we've already mapped out um, by the time we're seven. So it takes a little bit more, um, you know, willingness to be open and honest with yourself and, and to do some gentle inquiry back into that. Um, yeah. And, you know, and sometimes, sometimes people are scared about going back. Some people don't want, times they don't want to go back. Um, but the thing I always say about it is you're not going back into the, the thing that, happened or if there's a, if there's any pain around what happened you're just going back into what you made that mean so you're just reviewing the the data quite objectively and observing the story you told about why it happened and what about what you meant about what it, you made it meant about you and how that yeah. how that created um an idea of how you were going to meet your needs in the future from that experience so yeah um, yeah that's good hmm. okay well yeah, I mean, I I love how pragmatic the coaching conversations are because you can road test all this. Like, if you you can tell when a story is enlarged, because then you have more freedom to explore and play. And yeah, exactly. Go road test this and explore it and experiment it and try different things on and see what you learn, and then come back and review review it more. So it's a it's a process yeah, of sure. growth. That's not one conversation that fixes everything for all time. It's just one no. conversation that opens a door that you walk through that leads to the next door. So, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to detract from the the awareness you've had around the key things for you by uh, by going any further. It feels like that would be an okay place to leave the conversation for now. Yeah, for um, sure. But if there's anything else you think would make it more complete, anything else that you feel would need to be addressed before you could. Um, get what you need from this conversation feel free to are there any um jamin are there any uh places or or scenarios that you feel like for somebody that struggles with this type of thing that have you know maybe a little bit of a pattern or trends for people in general from their childhood that maybe have created some of those narratives that might give myself or even anyone listening to the podcast some places mm. to begin to think through you know school setting yeah or yeah sure parent, yeah, parent -child yeah sure. relationships yeah great so so i'd be fascinated by who was the chief validator in your life growing up if i was okay is me going yeah. back that you heard me use that yep. language chief validator before no no but i'm intrigued by well, it so who was the person affirming who you are and that sort of thing well well not even the person who was but who was the person that you gave that role to so, okay. so typically a child you know when they play the rules of the game and and kind of try to have their needs met externally typically they will pick one person above all others whose opinion is most needed 
So, yeah. um, and even even more interesting is often it's if it's a parent, uh, it's often the parent who's least willing to give that affirmation or that validation. So, yeah. for instance, if you had a soft, kind, caring mum who's always saying nice things to you anyway, you kind of take that for granted and go, mum's going to say I'm awesome no matter what I do. But dad, hmm, what have I got to do to get dad to say I'm awesome? What are the rules of that game? Yes. So then he yes. gets the role. He's the chief validator. And then you just obsess about what have I, you just observe every pattern, everything he says, everything he does to work out the rules of the game. Um, yeah. You know, obviously, or sometimes it's the other way around. Sometimes dad's, that's always affirming and no matter what you did, you couldn't really disappoint him. Say so like, oh, excellent, but mum, there's something weird about, she never really tells me I'm great. Or what is it? You know, or yeah. sometimes that badge gets moved on to a brother or a, um, or a leader or a teacher or a coach or someone who you just kind of like, man, there's something about that person. I just, I really want their love and acceptance more than anyone else. So, so if you can kind of just do some gentle inquiry and notice uh, who who yeah. were the key people growing up for you that seemed to be the ones who mattered most. Um, yes. And then to observe if you can get outside your own head and kind of look back into that story and just say, and what were the rules of the game? What were the, what were the patternings? Um, yeah. You know, for instance, a, a conversation with a client a, a little while ago was, you know, it was her dad that was the chief validator and the rules of the game were you can't show emotion. So stoicism was rewarded. Um, being emotional was punished. So, yeah. So therefore a whole bunch of interesting rules got told around you just suppress what's what's going on and you just put a, a, a hard exterior. That's, that's how you get accepted. So, yeah. Um, no, know. that's a good, that's a good place to start, Jamin, to, mm. to, at least explore then, you know, it may have been somebody in the school setting or it could yeah, have been yeah. in the home setting That's or it could right. have been in a sports team setting, but it at least lets you, I guess it gives you something or a question or some handles around, hey, going back yeah, yeah, that's to what look where that for. came mm. from. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's fascinating. And to just, uh, you know, Dr. Robert Keegan, Harvard Chair of Human Behaviour, he just says the subject object switch is the thing that accelerates human growth more than any other practice. So okay. quite simply it's, we are subjective beings. We go and have a subjective experience of the world and we couldn't not have a subjective experience, but we also have the ability, another Stephen Covey observation to think about our thinking, to be, yes. to be aware, to step outside and look back in and every yeah. moment spent being objective about our own subjective experience gives us more awareness and choice. So yeah. every moment spent, just stepping outside and just going back and observing the data around the childhood experience and seeing who, who played those roles, what were the rules of the game, what agreements were made, what stories were told. It's just such a useful um, exercise because it gives you so much to do yeah. not work and to create change around that. Um, yeah. Whereas most people give that gift of self-awareness back and just exist, just remain um, unawakened in the dark, just doing what they've always done, which is yeah an interesting choice. Like you know, for all kinds of reasons. But, but, but one of the things that the, the human gift is okay. We're, we're different from animals because we can we can do that. Think about our thinking. Yeah, think about our thinking. Yeah, and yeah, it's really okay. It's it's um, a gift, not a not yeah. A point, so yeah, in a sense, it's that that almost like that mindfulness of it is seeking seeing you know even 
picturing a circumstance from your childhood or parts of your narrative and being able to look at it almost like it's a television set and you're outside of the you're set and you're watching yourself yeah, and you're saying, yeah, exactly. okay, why am I, why was I thinking that yeah, yeah. or how did that yeah. interaction impact me yeah, yeah. Um, in that moment and how is that sure. then translated into the story that I tell myself 40 years mm. later or whatever the case may be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, and the and the more you do it, the more fun it becomes. I I notice often at the beginning of a coaching journey, people have linked a lot of pain to self awareness. Yeah, like you know there'd be dragons down there. You know the idea of turning the lights oh. or having a look around just yes scares them. So yeah, they, so yeah, they yeah. think, oh no, um, what am I going to discover if I start looking around? Yet you start noticing what the fruit of awareness, you start seeing what comes out of it. And it's, it's a very short amount of time when it starts becoming a very pleasurable experience just because of how exciting it is. You're like, Oh my yeah. goodness, I discovered that. I never even made that connection before that connection. Well, that just, that blows my mind. That, that helps me make sense of that. That changes that. I yes. understand that. Oh, wow. What else could I discover? And you kind yeah. of, you know, it becomes a real joy to then go back and explore rather than this terrifying thing that yeah. needs to be avoided. No, that's good. Mm. Well, Jamin, this was super helpful, mate. And I've got some um, concrete things that I feel like I can take away and um, do a little bit of work on um, to, to discover uh, some of maybe the roots of, you know, the thing that I'm struggling with today, but it, it's mm. rooted in something that, you know, maybe far different, but manifests itself in the, you know, worried about whether people are being critical and how to navigate that. Yeah. Mm. So super helpful. Yeah. Good. Uh, my pleasure. And thanks so much for being so honest and real with everyone. I'm sure that'll be a great gift to them. So cool. We'll yeah, leave the good. conversation there. Sounds great. All right, mate. You've been listening to the insecurity project. I hope you found the content and conversations useful. And remember, you are not just the actor in the story, you are the storyteller. You have the ability to turn this all around. For more information about overcoming insecurity, check out theinsecurityproject.com.